Good morning, everybody. I'm not used to having to hold the mic up, so pardon me. One second. Um, good morning. My name is Moses Shoyola, and I am one of the lay elders here at Lower Manhattan Community Church. And it's November, so it's that time of year where as we get close to the holidays and to Thanksgiving and Christmas, we focus on giving and generosity as a church. We take one or two messages to spend some time encouraging the spiritual practice of tithing, which is giving 10% of our personal or family income to our church. And in the past, we've talked about all the reasons that giving is good for us and important, how it's a matter of obedience, how scripture commands it, how God commands it so we ought to do it. And we've talked about all the upsides that come from giving. The opportunity to participate in building Jesus' kingdom through our local church and the organizations that we support in our community. We've talked about the ability to demonstrate our loyalty to Jesus over money the God of, and, and mammon, the God of money. We've talked about the material blessing and financial blessing that comes as God promises to give us back more than what we give. And we've talked about the spiritual freedom that comes from being free of the anxiety and worry of being fixated on money and how that goes away when we trust Jesus and honor him with our money. So today I don't want to spend as much time on the positives and the upside of giving Today I want to focus on the downside of giving because what I imagine happens for many of us is that we hear all the good and positive upsides that come along with giving and we leave here fired up to give. And then what happens is not that we forget about it, it's not that we get distracted, I think it's that we actually sit down and look at the dollar amounts and it's just too hard. There's just too much immediate downside. So today I want to look at that part, the downside, the cost of giving, so that we can see how we can push through the downside to give, so that we can actually take advantage of and reap all the benefits of the upside and positive reasons that we see in scripture, the participating and building his kingdom, the demonstrating our loyalty to him over mammon, freeing ourselves from the anxiety and worry that comes from being attached to money and even the material blessing. Because all of that upside sounds really good, but I think when we leave here, we feel like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to write a check to my church every week or every month or every year for that 10% of my gross income. I want to do it. I'm going to do it. I have to do it. I will do it. But then we get home and real life sets in. There are real bills to pay. There's real rent or a real mortgage. There are real clothes and grocery bills. There are real medical bills. There are real phone bills. There are real childcare costs. There's real tuition and real student loans and real retirement to save for and real rainy days to save for and even real vacations and real dinners and drinks and concerts and shows to go out to with friends and real weddings and Christmases and birthdays to buy gifts for and on and on and on, so we start to look at all those real things that we have to pay for, and even just real things that we want to spend our money on, and we look at what's coming in, and it already barely works. So making it work with 10% less seems crazy. 
And after taxes, it's more like 15 to 20% less, so it seems even crazier. And I don't care if you're rolling in it making millions, if you're barely getting by paycheck to paycheck or anywhere in between, if anyone came to us tomorrow and told us to take a 10% pay cut, it's actually worse than a 10% pay cut, because you still get taxed on the full amount. If anyone told us that, we'd say it's impossible. We literally don't have it. The, the math doesn't math. We won't be able to figure out how to make it work. No matter what level of income we're at, doing this, especially the first time, is really hard and it's almost impossible. And so what do we do? Well, I love what Jesus says about this because what Jesus says is that if we're looking at all the bills, if we're looking at all the other things money could be spent on, we're actually starting in the right place. That's what we heard in the passage from Luke 14, which I'll read again. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build, to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Which of you intending to do any big project does not sit down first and count the cost? Likewise, whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's what he says. He says we should actually count the cost. Like literally add it up. Sit down and look at the categories that our money goes toward and take 10% out of the gross and see where that leaves us. And what that means is that some of those categories have lower amounts attached to them or they go away altogether, what that might mean is planning for some slightly lesser quality of life from a material perspective than what we would have otherwise. Counting the cost means planning to give up some things in order to fulfill our desire and intention to honor him with our money. Jesus says that he wants to know that we forsake all we have in order to follow him. He doesn't want us doing it blindly. He doesn't want to trick us into it. He doesn't want to drug us into it while we're on some spiritual high. He wants to know we're going into it eyes wide open and sober-minded. He wants to know we are going in knowing what we are forsaking to follow him. That we go in knowing that we're not going to have all the things we want. Doesn't do anything for him if we stumble into it blindly. Doesn't do anything for him if we do it on a whim. Doesn't say anything about the loyalty of our hearts to him over all the other things we have if we do it blindly. So we've got to count the cost. There will be things that we might have to plan to give up, might feel like it's going to hurt and that's what he wants to see. He wants to see us count the cost of being his follower. And as we think about counting the cost, I think it's helpful to reorient our perspective about wealth and money. 
because the way we humans look at money is very different from how God looks at money. And if we're able to shift our perspective to be more like his, might be able to see that the costs of giving, the immediate downsides of giving, can see them in a way that enables us to push through that downside and reap the benefits. Because one of the biggest ways our perspective on money differs from God is that to us, money is a scarce resource. Economics is the study of scarcity and how to allocate resources under scarce conditions. But we, we view money as a scarce resource. We humans operate in a world of trade-offs. There are things we can do and things we can't do. And even if we seemingly have all the money in the world, other resources like our time and our attention are limited, and that impacts how we use our money and limits what we can and can't do. But this is not at all how God sees money. God does not see money or any other resource as scarce. God's economy is an economy of abundance. God's resources are limitless. He does not operate in a world of trade-offs. He can do everything he wants to do. And what he wants to do is use all of his limitless resources to care for his people. What he wants to do is use his resources for the benefit and well-being and enjoyment of his people. Jesus comes right out and says this in John 10. He says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Have it to the full. He says it again in Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness and all these things you worry about, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear, they will all be added to you. It's in Philippians 4. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's in Psalm 34. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. God's economy is an economy of abundance, which begs the question, what is abundance? See, I used to think abundance was having what I need and want and more, having surplus beyond what I need and want, having more than I could ever want or need. I equated abundance and surplus and I've come to realize that abundance and surplus aren't actually the same thing. Because the fundamental reason that I want more than I need, the reason I want surplus is so that if unexpected things come up, if tough times come up, I have the margin and cushion so that I don't end up lacking the things I need and want in those times. So really it's not that I want more than I need. Really, I just want to know that my needs and desires will be met and satisfied now and always in the future, no matter what happens. And that's what abundance is. It's having our needs and right desires met now and having the certainty that our needs and right desires will always be met in the future. And that's God's view of money and resources. It's abundance. God's economy is one of abundance for all those who trust him and choose to participate in it. It's having all our needs and right desires met now and having certainty that all of our needs and right desires will be met in the future. And making that perspective shift 
from seeing money and resources as scarce and limited to seeing resources as abundant, to seeing that in God's economy all our needs and right desires will be met now and in the future. That's a big shift. It's a freeing shift. Because then when we count the costs of giving from an abundance perspective, the downside might still look significant and substantial. It might even still look painful, but it no longer looks catastrophic. It no longer looks like we'll be in ruin because we know he will supply all we need and desire. So once we count the cost of giving, once we look squarely at the downside, the calculus isn't done yet. The pros and cons list isn't yet complete. Because we have to look at another cost. We have to look at the downside of keeping our money, the downside of not giving. We have to count the cost of not giving giving. And in the passage that we read, Jesus gives us one really big cost when he says, whoever doesn't forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. He says we're not as true followers if we don't give everything else up, including our money. But then there are other costs Jesus points to as well. There's a conversation in scripture that he has with a guy who's called the rich young ruler. This guy is a wealthy, well-to-do, pillar of his community, salt-of-the-earth type guy. And he comes to Jesus and he asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you know the commands. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't steal. Honor your father and mother. And he says back to Jesus, I've done all these things since I was a boy. And then Jesus looks him right in the eye. With love, it says. It says Jesus loved him because he wanted him to get this right. He looks him right in the eye and loved him. And Jesus says, one thing you lack. Go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross and follow me. And the rich young ruler's response is heartbreaking. Because he knows he won't do it. And it says he was sad at Jesus' words. He went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And the next line is a classic line from Jesus where he says, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And his disciples are like, uh... Jesus, this is impossible. How can anyone be saved? And Jesus says, with men, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And then Peter says, hey, Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus says, and surely, without a doubt, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sister, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and family and land, and in the age to come, eternal life. So first Jesus is saying what we saw him say elsewhere. The big cost to not giving up our possessions is we can't be his true followers if we don't. But then he also says this, there's another cost to not giving up our possessions. There's an opportunity cost. 
Because he says, whatever we give up, whatever costs we've counted, yes, they may feel like costs when we're counting them. They may feel like things that we're giving up when we're counting them. They might feel like things that we're giving up as we actually live through giving them up. But in the end, not just in eternity, but also now in this life, in this time, we will get it all back. Not just what we give up, but what we give up times 100. Whatever we give up, we'll get back times 100. So earlier on in my faith journey, I really thought of this as dollar for dollar. Like, if I give God 10 bucks, he's going to give me 1,000 bucks back. And I imagine for some people that it's actually worked like that. And if you've heard my giving story and my financial story, which has been crazy, there's definitely some of that in there. Like, I've probably seen... God give me back 10x dollar for dollar over the decades. But I've come to realize he's not talking dollar for dollar. In this verse where he says all the things will get back a hundredfold, he's not talking about money. He mentions land and houses and family and friends. Doesn't even mention money. He could have mentioned money. Jesus isn't shy about talking about money. He talks about it all the time. But for Jesus, it's not about the money. It's about what the money is for, the land, the houses, to take care of our families, to enjoy our friends. As Don Draper put it in a very different context, that's what the money's for. And this is where the difference between our perspective on money and God's perspective on money comes into play. Because in God's economy of abundance, he doesn't need to give you 100 times the money to give you 100 times the provision that comes from your land or your job or however you earn your living. He doesn't need to give you 100 times the money to give you 100 times the safety and security that comes from your home. He doesn't need to give you 100 times the money to give you 100 times the well-being of your family. He doesn't need to give you 100 times the money to give you 100 times the enjoyment with your friends. He might do it with money, money might be a part of it, but he doesn't have to do it with money. In God's economy of abundance, he doesn't need to give you a hundred times the money to give you a hundred times the security and safety and comfort you're hoping to get from money. In God's economy, he doesn't need to give you a hundred times the money to give you a hundred times the confidence that your needs will be met. God's economy is an economy of abundance. And abundance is knowing our needs and right desires will be completely satisfied now and always in the future. And what I've learned is that the surest way to participate in God's economy of abundance, the surest way to participate in God's economy of undeserved blessing, the surest way to participate in God's economy where somehow less is always more than enough, surest way to participate in God's economy is to honor him with our money. This has been insanely true in my life. I mean insanely. It doesn't make sense. We've talked about there being a money component to this. God literally multiplying my income many times over after I started giving. But more than money, I've come to see I have true abundance. Knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that all my needs and right desires, all of them, sustenance, safety, health, my well-being, the well-being of my family, my spiritual needs, even some silly things that I just kind of want. 
completely taken care of now and always in the future. I have true abundance. I don't worry. I just don't, even when things aren't going my way. And believe me, things have not gone my way recently on many different fronts, and yet I know he's got me. And that's the kind of luxury, the kind of abundance that no amount of money can buy. Here's what I've seen. Counting the cost is hard. You do it once, and it's so hard. That first time is the hardest. And then it gets easier, and then blessings start rolling in, and then it's just how you live. And though you counted the cost once, and it was hard, maybe the hardest thing you'd ever done, you will never stop counting your blessings. You will never stop counting your blessings. So I want to finish by just addressing four different groups of people. First, there are the consistent givers who've seen God's faithfulness. And my encouragement to this group of people is just to keep going. But also to share what you've seen with others around you. Tell others about the costs that you've counted and the faithfulness from God that you've seen. The second group is consistent givers who, for whatever reason, don't feel like you've seen God's faithfulness yet. Maybe it's early. Maybe you're in a tough period now. And the encouragement is the same. It's keep going. You've already done the hard part of counting the cost. The abundance is coming. And then the third group of people are the inconsistent givers or non-givers who, like the rich young ruler, have great possessions. Those of you who know you have it, or giving up 10% means giving up some luxuries or conveniences. The encouragement is to not let your story end up like that of the rich young ruler where you go away sad because you can't let go of your possessions. Don't let your story end up like the rich man in scripture who built bigger and bigger barns for his possessions and was called a fool by God at the end of his life. Give up your possessions. Take up your cross. Follow Jesus. No amount of keeping the commandments will make you his true follower if you don't forsake what you have. No amount of faith and prayer and holy living will make you his true follower if you hold on to your possessions. Jesus says if your arm causes you to miss the mark, cut it off. If your eye causes you to miss the mark, gouge it out. If your possessions cause you to miss the mark, let them go. It's better to be in his camp, to be his true follower without your possessions, than to have everything and be outside of his camp. And the last group of people are the inconsistent givers or non-givers who are struggling financially. You already know what it's going to look like when you sit down and count the cost and you don't have it. God says a lot of things to this group. Malachi, he says, test me. See if I won't pour out a blessing so incredible you won't be able to contain it. And we also have what Jesus said about a widow who gave two small coins as her offering to the, t to the temple. The story goes like this. Jesus is in the temple, and everyone's lining up to give their gifts to the treasury. And there are some very rich people putting in a lot of money. And then there's this poor widow who puts in two mites. 
which is essentially the equivalent of six minutes of a day's labor. So if the hourly rate is $20, we're talking $2. And Jesus calls his disciples to himself and he says, look, look at this poor widow. Of all the people who have given today, this widow has given more than all of them because they gave out of their surplus, but she, as poor as she is, put in her whole livelihood. Let your story be like the widow's story where Jesus says to you, even in your lack, I see you, I commend you, I approve of your faithfulness. After last year's giving series, someone in this last group called me. And he said to me, I'm going to start tithing. I don't know how I'm going to do it, especially because I've got this big financial obligation hanging over me. This one bill, it's legally mandated, and unless that situation changes, it's going to be really, really tough for me. But I've realized I've got to start giving, and I want to test God and see if he'll come through. So this guy started giving. And I got to tell you, God didn't really come through for him at first. It actually got worse. His situation got worse. A few months later, he found out his job would be changing significantly, potentially reducing his pay by a huge chunk. And he called me again. He said, you know, I just started tithing, and this happened. My situation is even worse. Then he said something amazing to me. He said, now it's on God. God has to show up. And a few months later, he found out that that one bill, the legally mandated one that just was an overhang on his financial situation, he found out it would be going away. It was a miracle. And he's still not out of the woods. He's still waiting for God to come through on his job front. But when I talk to him these days, I hear a lightness in his voice. He's not really worried about how things are going to go. There's uncertainty all around him. So many ways things could go wrong. And yet when I talk to him, his mind and his heart and his spirit are insulated from it all. That's abundance. It's the kind of abundance that money can't buy. So for anyone who listens to Jesus' words and counts the cost, and it looks impossible, and it looks like you don't have it, your story can be the same story when you test God, or you see if he won't, you see if he won't make the impossible possible. See if he doesn't make it so that there's a lightness and a confidence in your heart, even though everything looks like bad news. See if he doesn't pour out abundance on you and assure you that every need of yours will always be satisfied. Count the cost. Just once, count the cost. It will be hard. Once you count the cost, once you forsake everything to follow him, you will never stop counting your blessings. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we see you ask us to do really hard things in Scripture, and when it comes to our wallets, 
It's really hard to turn that over to you. It's really hard to trust you. It's really hard to see how you make the impossible possible. But it's what you say to do. So I just pray that by the power of your spirit, we receive your words and we see things from your perspective of abundance and you show us how to just trust you and forsake all that we have to follow you. We can only do this by the power of your spirit. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.